that's the only way it works because I've seen so many banks getting issues. They'll go out and buy a portfolio, throw it on their current operating system, a Jack Henry or a Fiserv, and it doesn't work like that. This is Behind the Vault, where we study the best in community banking. On this show, we talk with community bank and credit union leaders about their approaches, challenges, and successes in serving their communities in today's world. I'm your host, Rich Edwards. Our aim is to highlight and strengthen one of the most essential parts of our economy, the community financial institution. Stick around at the end of the show to learn how you can be a guest on Behind the Vault. And now, on with the episode. You may be looking at an acquisition as a way of growing your business and your market as a community bank. Those can be tricky to pull off, particularly if it's in an area that's not germane to what you're doing today. We're going to talk about that today with our guest, RJ Grimshaw. RJ Grimshaw is the CEO of Able Leadership and has an interesting story about his time with Unify Financing and their acquisition by the Bank of Ann Arbor. RJ, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Rich. I love uh, talking about the story of what the Bank of Ann Arbor did in terms of uh, acquiring Unify and what we were able to do over the last 10 years to support the shareholders of the bank. So, so tell us a little bit about the background, about your background and kind of what got you to the point where you know, the Bank of Ann Arbor was looking at you guys to, to yeah. bring in as part of the book of business. Um, I fell into the equipment financing industry by accident. I, I never thought I'd be in banking per se. I <laughs> actually was born into a family of entrepreneurs, which was a blessing. Um, but however, at 30, I had to make a decision with two young kids. Did I want to continue the entrepreneur um, dream or go into corporate America? And I fell into corporate America uh, in the equipment finance industry and just really worked my way up through through the, you know, the, the, the ladder, uh, and then in 2013 became CEO president of Unify after the acquisition, the bank of Ann Arbor was looking to diversify, uh, their assets, uh, and their loans. And what Unify presented to them was an opportunity to be national and just not be relied on the Southeast Michigan economy, which is of course driven primarily by the auto industry. So, uh, during 08, 09, they made a constant decision to start looking to diversify again their lending uh, because they were fortunate enough to have a lot of liquidity to be able to to lend out. So in 2012, they made that acquisition. I joined the organization as the second president. The company was actually founded in 1978. Uh, so I joined in August of 13. And at that time, we had 13 million on the balance sheet of earning assets. And at the close of 2023, we finished at 250 million. So, so what exactly does equipment financing mean? What was the scope of that? So if you look at, you know, every bank or most banks, they have your, you have your trust department, maybe your SBA department, your mortgage department. Um, we're another vertical within the bank and we focus strictly on equipment financing. And most equipment financing companies across the country really have verticals that they focus on. So someone might be focused on technology or they're focused on healthcare or they're focused on, you know, over the road trucks or tow trucks. At Unify, we were strictly focused on CNC equipment, uh, as well as uh, tow trucks, box trucks, and FedEx trucks. And that's what really drove our growth. And again, it's hard asset uh, lending that, that we looked at, and I would highly recommend that for any community bank because your your balance sheets are a little bit smaller than the, the larger institutions that are in this space, but it really is a niche. It's a trillion dollar industry that really falls under the radar that people don't understand. and what drew me to it primarily and, and why I love about the industry is that you're working with business owners all over the country 
to either make them more efficient with the piece of equipment that they're buying and or adding equipment to grow revenues. So it, uh, typically it's a good situation when we're working with companies that are looking to acquire the equipment. So w was a lot of that driven by partnership with like the manufacturers and distributors? So you could look at the business from a couple different ways. One is what we call a vendor or dealer centric model where you're going out to the dealers like you just mentioned. And think about it like this. When you go buy a car, they take the friction out of this out of the sales process because they have financing right at the dealership. They don't say, oh yeah, you love that car. Now go to the bank and get a loan and come back with your check to pay for the car. They handle all that within the dealership to make a good experience. We do the same thing on the commercial side. We'll go to a, a Volvo dealer that sells Volvo, you know, yellow iron and partner with them to, to offer that financing at the time of the sale. So that's one avenue. The second avenue for our bank customers within the Bank of Ann Arbor that are buying and financing or buying equipment, traditionally you only had a loan to be able to offer. And that process was a lot slower because you're taking someone in a loan department that could be doing a mortgage, they could be doing an SBA, then they could be doing this equipment loan. Where at Unified, that's all we all we do. So we could just be more efficient and drive that customer experience where we made it really easy to utilize DocuSign, electronic documents and things of that nature to make it to go to the customer and help that dealer sell that piece of equipment. Now, the third piece of that is as we finance equipment for the bank customers, that's a vendor now opportunity because we just paid them. We set them up in our accounts payable system. We start building that relationship. And then we go to them after we give them a good experience, the vendor, and ask them if they'd like to partner on financing. Sometimes they have financing relationships already in place. Sometimes they don't think about it. And then there's an education piece around 80% of companies finance the equipment that they're putting in their business. So you could have an increase in sales by doing one simple thing. And that strictly is just adding a monthly payment to your equipment quotes. So was was Bank of Ann Arbor, were they in this business before? Was was this something that there was no overlap at all? It was all Greenfield for them? The, the Bank of Ann Arbor, the way that they were introduced to the, the company at that time, the name of the company was actually Irvin, E-R-V-I-N. They had a wholesale line of credit to Irvin that they would draw against. So they already had insight in the organization, but they had no domain expertise. Uh, they didn't understand what a lease was, what an equipment finance agreement was, what the go-to-market strategy was, and that's quite honestly why they wanted to, they brought myself in. And then I built out a team of leadership, uh, again, from uh, the industry that had domain expertise. I brought my director of operations with me, who was with me eight years previously, um, to, to, to grow to grow unified to what it is today. So at, at the time of acquisition or the, or the time when you were brought in, which I think was mm -hmm. shortly after the acquisition, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, just to set the tone, I. Ann Arbor was in the low single-digit billions as far as assets. I think I they're three billion now, right? Billion. Yeah, they're a billion, okay. maybe mm -hmm. a billion two, and our balance sheet was thirteen million. Thirteen million. Okay. Yeah. Got We're it. Very small, and, and then it start. The thing with equipment financing, unlike a lot of your traditional loans, is that our average tenure of a contract is fifty-four months. So as you grow your balance sheet, and, and as the bankers that are listening or watching to this, they understand the runoff. When you grow a balance sheet, you have to originate more to uh, overcome the runoff of your of your balance sheet. So the good news is that in the beginning, we originate we went from thirteen million to thirty six million to seventy two million. Now we're at we have to have a run rate of close to one hundred and fifty million just to keep the balance sheet where it is today. 
um, just because of that runoff. The good news is in a raising rate environment, typically, and most bankers know this, our, our end users, our business customers aren't paying off their notes early um, because they want to leverage that cash in the business and not not pay off the debt that maybe they occurred back in, you know, 1920 when rates were, you know, extremely low. So, you know, every everybody who's gone to business school knows the classic stat that three quarters of acquisitions don't work out or they or they at least like don't provide the value that's that's promised there. Now, it appears that Unify was a really good buy for Bank of Arn Arbor. Like, why did that work out? What what were the the factors or the things that changed about it that made that success, you know, possible and probably much more likely. Yeah, I, the, the the board, the and I and I reported <clears throat> to the bank president, but I were also met with the board monthly to provide an update, and that was a requirement that I wanted before I joined the organization because I wanted to ensure that the board of directors understood what we were doing and the accomplishments we were making, because that voice should come from the, the the leader of that business vertical. What it provided to them again was just the diversification. And it was, if you were to ask the, the chairman of the board, Bill Martin or Tim Marshall is the president of Bank of Ann Arbor. Um, if you, if Unify was a good acquisition, they would both be glowing because what it does for the bank is we Unify would borrow, of course, our capital from the bank and pay interest on that. And then we also had our own profitability from a revenue perspective. So it's really a two-edged, double-edged sword, you know, in terms of uh, the opportunity, in terms of the borrowing from the bank, and then our bottom line profitability as well. And Bank of Ann Arbor is a well-run institution that really focuses on, if you, if you look at their call reports and things of that nature, you know, they're always ranked in the top half percent of community banks across the country. To answer your question specifically, it was a cultural fit. And that's what made it work. And so many companies, and I've been through many mergers and acquisitions on both sides of it. It really comes down to the the, the culture. Irvin and Bank of Ann Arbor thought the same way in terms of their go-to-market, how they handle a customer first, customer-centric, cultural-centric. Um, and that's why it worked. Um, and, and it will continue to work. But I, I've been part of those acquisitions as well, where five years after the acquisition, the entire company's dissolved uh, mm. in the balance to run off because you know i believe that it just wasn't a cultural fit a lot of times either from a risk perspective human capital perspective whatever it could be but anyone that i talk to that's looking to make an acquisition i always stress culture 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 uh and if there's not alignment there it won't work so at at, at that point unify then irving there had been in business what about 35 years the 35 years yeah so when i joined when i walked in my first meeting the company was celebrating its 35th year uh, of being in existence. Um, and they were successful the whole time. I mean, they were in what they mm -hmm. called an independent, so they didn't, they weren't owned by a bank parent. And primarily the other thing that I, I came in to do was, because I had a banking background, mm -hmm. was now to educate them on the compliance, um, mm -hmm. which was foreign, you know, a foreign thing to the, the to the individuals in the organization because they never had to deal with KYC. They never had to deal with mm -hmm. uh, any of any of that. Um, and it wasn't Wild Wild West, but it's just different now with the the level of compliance around education in terms of if we want to cloak borrowing costs, we have to you know comply and and mm -hmm. we had to put all those processes uh, to ensure that we were meeting all the compliance uh, that the that the government OCC and things of that nature place on us. So in, in addition to like the, the regulatory 
hurdles in the compliance layer that you were having to add. What, what were the other challenges, cultural or otherwise, about a, a company that's been around for 35 years suddenly has new ownership, right? I, I imagine that's that's not a trivial change to make. No, it's not. As well as you're bringing a new president. And I, when I walked in, there was, you know, 20 people in the organization at the time and the longevity there. We have still to this day, one individual has been with the company, not in the industry, but with the company for 32 years. So they were really steadfast in their mindset. So it was really just a, a you know, cultural, you know, to figure out their culture because now I was the new person in the organization build those relationships. And it was hard because not only were we making a change in terms of the of, of meshing the two cultures together, we were also investing into a new operating system. And, and if anyone knows that, when you're running parallel on two systems and learning a new one and you know understanding where the bugs are and things of that nature, as well as we're growing a business, as well as we changed the brand of the name, as well as we're hiring new salespeople. There was a lot of sleepless nights uh, in 14, 15, at the end of the day, it came down to just making really good hires of really good individuals, as well as the longevity of the people buying into what we were trying to accomplish, and then it was off to the races. Um, and then the big change that really took place at Unify was in 2015, 2016, after we had four years of data and four years of portfolio growth to really take a step back from a strategic perspective and figure out really where we want to be. And I use the metaphor that in 2013, we opened up a restaurant. We opened up a restaurant. We knew where the where the location was, a great location, but we did not have an identity. We did not know if we were a steakhouse, if we were mm -hmm. Italian, if we were a pizza shop, that we serve sushi. Because all we wanted to do was grow revenue and generate revenue. However, with that model, you can't be efficient. So that's why we took the step back to say, okay, who are we? Let's take the data. Where were we getting our growth, our portfolio performance, efficiency gains? And then let's just focus on that and go forward in 16. That's really where you saw the growth from, you know, 70 million to, to over 100 million when we made that decision. And while doing that, we also shrunk our FTEs, our full-time employees within the organization because we became more efficient around processes and leveraging technology and that data. So to, to be really clear, you were growing the the balance sheet, the size of the business, and reducing the the number of FTEs you had in the organization. Exactly. And w was there was there turnover there? Like, were you bringing in new talent as part of that as well? Um, there was some. I wouldn't say there was a lot of turnover. What it was mm -hmm. was just making sure that people were aligned with their skill set in the right position. Because I walked into a situation where there there were well run company, but not a lot of ownership within the different groups and so we first had to define who owns what part of the process and we're not going to have a multi-head person running that um so as soon as we got over that hump around accountability and things of that nature and then you know this is luck hiring good people right anyone that says that they have the the the, the art and science down of hiring people run run fast because <laughs> we all know it's not easy a lot of it's gut a lot of it's luck a lot of it's just you know, having a lot of conversations, as I say, kissing a lot of frogs to find the prince or princess. Um, and we were fortunate enough to do that. And then as the culture evolved, people were coming to us that wanted to join us because it was an environment that we created that team members' voices were heard. And that was the, you know, we we built out what we call an entrepreneur operating system with, with transparency and communication. And we allowed people, just like the bank allowed me, 
to make substantial changes within the business that would be better for the organization to serve the customers. So that culture, you know, from the bank rolled down to Unify and then to our team members. And that was another key component of our success with the acquisition was the bank. I always told my wife, the bank is giving me enough rope, which is good, but it's also giving me enough rope that I could hang myself if I get too reckless mm -hmm. um, and, and things of that nature. But, you know, they had confidence in us and continue to have confidence in us. Um, now we have past performance, but early on, when, when, you know, I'm a new guy in the company and they just made this significant investment, um, you know, they, they, they allowed me to, to do what I thought was right. And they allowed me the freedom to be able to do that. Now, now during this time period, you also had like vastly different macroeconomic factors going on. I mean, going from ZERP to, you know, oh. the inflation we've seen here in the past 18 months, you know, as we're looking at it. Hey. How, how did that help or hurt or make your job maybe infinitely more complicated? Interesting enough, in 14 and 15, 13, 14, 15, when we were growing it, I wasn't focused on it because it was just so much low-hanging fruit and so much opportunity for improvements. I wasn't so focused on the macroeconomics of what was taking place. However, in 2021, 22, 23, very focused on it um, with the raising rate environment that, that was taking place. On top of, keep in mind, we are financing equipment. So you think about the supply and inventory challenges that took place in 2020 and 2021. We're calling dealers. They don't have equipment to sell, which means we don't have equipment to finance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have to be creative. So we actually started doing a lot of more you know, different things. And what I mean by different things is private party sales. So, which we frowned upon traditionally. However, because of lack of inventory through our dealers, we had to find a, an alternative way to continue, you know, growing the balance sheet, mitigating risks. And that was an avenue to, to do that. Um, so that was, was, a, was that working with your existing dealer network or were you having to go out and recruit dealer, dealer network lead sources? Or, or our customers? You know, we had mm -hmm. 6,000 6, customers. Um, and we let them know because we, we were trying to be proactive, understanding that if a company was growing and they're trying to acquire equipment and they couldn't go to the dealers, they were probably going on swap sheets and things at Facebook marketplace to find the equipment, but they still had no place to finance it. So we would work with them. The biggest challenge around that is just mitigating the fraud aspect of it. Um, because now you're not working with a reputable dealer selling the equipment. You're now dealing with two individuals. So you just have to have a real tight process uh, to ensure that there's no UCCs against the equipment mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Um, so again, you just have to be creative and think through. And if you have a good team around you, you can whiteboard a solution, make sure everyone's on board and, and, and put it in place and then just continue tweaking it. That, that, that event. And then also the raising rate environment. So mm -hmm. you know, we had a raising rate environment that the fed raised so quick on top of inflation. So the poor business owner, when I say poor, uncontrollables for them is they have two increases. Not only is the equipment being increased of price in 2022, now interest rates. So their buying power has gone down tremendously as well. Just like if you're buying a mortgage or a house, it all mm -hmm. is relative to each other. Um, so that was another challenge. And then, you know, your relationship managers, I'm going to date myself. They haven't been through a raising rate environment. It's always mm -hmm. been, you know, very, very low. So that's a whole different skill set of someone who is trying to educate an, a business customer, you know, where rates are and what rates, you know, why there are where they are. 
Um, and it's just a different skill set for, for relationship managers to have that conversation. So we focused a lot to provide the proper tools for them to have those conversations. Now, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but you know, if, you, if you're talking to another bank leader, bank CEO or board member that's you know, thinking about acquiring a business like this, it's adjacent, it's a new product line that they wanna bring into the bank to, to help them grow. What, what advice or what tips do you give them from a, you know, how to think about it or frame it or ways to make it more likely that it'll be successful? Don't, where, where banks get in, from my perspective, where banks get into problems or issues with this business unit or this type of vertical is they dabble. You can't dabble in equipment financing. Either you have to be in and invest with a timeline or um, that's the only way it works because I've seen so many banks getting issues. They'll go out and buy a portfolio, throw it on their current operating system, a Jack Henry or a Fiserv, and it doesn't work like that. Equipment financing leasing is just so different in terms of assets on and assets off, multiple assets on a contract. Um, we had one bank that was actually taking all their assets off their balance sheet at the end of the month and then putting them back on for accounting purposes just because it was so challenging. So my advice is if you're going to go into it, hire a consultant that can educate you on the on the business model, on the go-to-market strategy, identify how you want to go into the market, either serving your current bank customers and or bank customers and dealers, and then make a decision around what type of assets you want to finance. Um, it's absolutely an incredible business model, very profitable um, for the community banks as well as for community banks. You're serving your community business customers that are financing that equipment somewhere why not have it be on your bank's balance sheet and serve their needs? No, that's, that's some great advice. I mean, very, very difficult to kind of just slap on another business like that, you know, without doing all of the hard work from a culture and an integration and just understanding that you're fundamentally in a, in to a certain extent, a different business, even though mm -hmm. it might be banking. So it is different well, and a lot of education too, that had to take place early on for myself. Um, not only to the board, but also to your auditors. So think about our internal auditors for the first time. They didn't know what an equipment financing agreement mm -hmm. was. They didn't know that, you know, how does the deal originate? How does it, how's the disposition work and things of that nature. So, you know, the education um, is a key component of, of that as well. And there's many different flavors that a community bank can enter this market. Some enter it with, you know, they just want to wholesale. They just want to buy tranches or paper from other institutions. That's one avenue. Another avenue, again, is identify, okay, we want to be a dealer or vendor centric. Another could be we want to be end user centric and not dealer centric. So there's many different ways to go and enter the market. And there's plenty of business out there um, to, to be had. Um, it's just really, again, don't dabble. Just just be very intent and, and thoughtful of how you're going to enter the market. So, so that brings us to what you're doing today. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about Able Leadership and what you're working on? Yeah. So um, I transitioned out of Unify at the end of last year, um, still heavily involved with the bank, shareholder, things of that nature. But part of my life's dream or, you know, part of my roadmap for RJ was uh, to, to go into to, to business consulting, the consulting word I don't like so much, business coaching more so. And I work with companies, banks, equipment finance uh, organizations that either want to enter the market, grow in the market, look at current best practices, look where they are relevant in a strategic perspective. Because as we all know, internally, sometimes it's hard to see the label of the jar when you're in the jar. So they like a third party and that's where we come in 
and we'll evaluate, sit down and we have different, you know, of course, different opportunities and, and lengths of engagement, but that's how we're working. It could be also a culture. A lot of people love to learn of what we did at Unify again, of growing the balance sheet with less people uh, from an efficiency perspective. And it wasn't, it wasn't just based on technology. It was the culture within the organization. And that's that entrepreneur operating system that we talk about. Um, but also we, I work with uh, boards as well that are looking to enter the market mm. and making that conscious decision to evaluate and understand the, you know, the complete marketplace. So if somebody wants to reach out to you to, to talk more about this, what's the best way for them to contact you? You can go to my website. It's rjgrimshaw.com uh, or just Google RJ Grimshaw. I'm all over social media um, and just reach out to me. My email is rj at rjgrimshaw.com. Um, and if it's just a general question around banking, equipment, financing, culture, things of that nature, feel free to, to reach out. I love, uh, I love hearing from people and answering questions and, and, and trying to help them. Great. Well, Hey, thank you very much for being here and sharing this with us today, RJ. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the time. This has been Behind the Vault, a production of Mindspan Systems, helping community FIs provide service like no other. Learn more at mindspandate.com. If you're a community bank or credit union leader and have a story to tell, please visit behindthevaultpod.com slash guest. That's behindthevaultpod.com slash guest. If you found this episode useful, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts as that helps other FI leaders like you find the show. Thanks for listening and join us next time for more insider stories from community banking on Behind the Vault.